Okay. Good morning. Will you turn the air on in the back for me? The the yeah, appreciate it. We got it. We got it. Okay, okay. Settle down, settle down. Calm down. Calm yourselves. Calm yourselves down. This is a serious Sunday, y'all. Hey, I um, I have some good news. Jesus Christ is alive. All right. I just want to make sure you know that. Hey, if you are here this morning and you're visiting, <clears throat> thank you for being here. Thank you for putting up for our lack of parking and our lack of space. Appreciate that. But uh, if you, someone asked you to come here, it's because they love you. Uh, they want you to know their God. They want you to know what salvation is. They want you to, know, to understand what this word, the gospel, means. They want you to understand that God has come to liberate you, not to enslave you. And so if you're here this morning, we have good news for you, too, that Jesus wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. Uh, and if you uh, want to follow along with where I'm at, turn to John chapter 20. Uh, raise your hand if you want a Bible in one of these lovely, good-looking men here will hand you a Bible. Uh, make them feel like what they're doing is worthwhile. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, yeah. Just for you, bright guy. Um, also, in addition to that, if you are new uh, and, and you're looking to get plugged in, or if you've been coming for a few weeks, we want to encourage you, make sure in the front of your pocket uh, of your seat, there's a little card in there that tells you about who we are, gives you our address location. There's even a QR code in there if you know what that is. Uh, and that'll take you to, I think, our app or our webpage. But we do have an app. Uh, and, and on that app tells you everything about us. It's how you sign up for our newsletter and all the wonderful things that we have going on. Uh, and so I want to just make sure that you uh, understand and, and know where to go for those things. I asked my kids last night <clears throat> for Sunday. You know, Sunday, Easter Sunday kind of represents, oftentimes people come up to me and say, hey, today's like your Super Bowl. Uh, and... and and I'll tell you, in reality, I think one of the things that's maybe laid on me a little bit more this year than any other Easter is that this is not Super Bowl Sunday. And the reason I say that is because as a pastor, it's my hope, whether I execute that or not is another story, but it's my hope to preach the resurrected Jesus every Sunday. It's not just today. Now, through history and Someone came up with this weird holiday called Easter, and they introduced the weird Easter bunny with cool colored eggs and all that. And we know Easter's not about that. And the church, at some point in history, said, let's redeem that day, and let's make it a day where we just really hone in and focus on the resurrected Jesus. Uh, last night, before this particular Super Bowl Sunday, you know, even though I know it's not a Super Bowl for the Lord, God saves people every day of the week. But for me, I, I want to do a good job, and I want to represent who Jesus is. And I invited my kids to pray over me last night, and uh, only two of them took me up on the offer. <laughs> of course, my daughter said yes, and her prayer was precious and pure and beautiful. Uh, and then my son prayed, and, and you maybe could guess which one it was. He says, Lord, I pray that tomorrow my dad doesn't sweat that much. <laughs> so, 
if I start sweating, his answers have not been pray, uh, have been his prayers have not been answered. Now the gospel is not that complicated to present. I mean, what we are here for is is to communicate the gospel, and the gospel in its simplest form is that humankind has been alienated from God, the one who created us, the one who loved us. He set his affection upon us. Every single one of us have what we call sin that has alienated us from Jesus. All of us have had mistakes. We've made mistakes. We've said things that we know we shouldn't have said, and we've done things we know that we haven't done, that we should have done, or, or whatever it may be. It may be an addiction. It may be a number of things. The way that humanity has figured out how to sin is endless. It's what John Calvin said that in the human heart, the human heart is an idol factory. What he was saying is that humankind just continues to churn out different things to worship other than God. And so God saw in his love and in his grace and in his compassion, he saw this needs to be fixed. In fact, when Adam and Eve first fell, he, he prophesied that there would be a solution, that through Eve would come one through her lineage that would crush the head of the snake, the serpent that caused them to fall. That's Satan. There was a prophecy from the very get-go, the first day of mistake, the first day of stupidity in humanity. God provides a prophecy that there'll be a solution. That solution is God himself. God himself come in human flesh through the Virgin Mary. And then this Jesus, this God, lived for 33 years of perfection. No sin, no mistake. No misspoken word. 33 years. How many of you can make it 33 minutes? None of us can. And that's why Jesus' perfect life is so important. Because Jesus' perfect life was lived on your behalf. Jesus knew that none of us in this room would ever live a perfect life. Because the way to heaven and eternal life, the way that we bridge ourselves back to God is through perfection. And none of us can do it. So Jesus imputed his perfection. That is to say, he gave us his perfection. And on that cross, after 33 years of life, 33 years of perfection, the Pharisees saw that he, he presented, Jesus presented a threat to the religious institution. Not only did he pose a threat to the financial system of the religious system of the day, but he also posed a threat to Judaism as a whole because he was saying everything in your sacred text, everything that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, everything in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and, and, and so on and so forth, all of these things, Jesus says, they're all about me. They all predict me. They all talk about me. They all point to me and my redemption of humankind. And the Pharisees said, that's blasphemy. And they put Jesus through six false trials. Trials that really wouldn't even count today. They're, they're a joke. And nonetheless, he eventually stands before Pilate. Pilate says, I don't see any fault in him. He seems to be perfect to me. And so he thinks, he schemes in his mind that before the crowds, just like a crowd like this, he presents Jesus who's done nothing and Barabbas who's done everything evil you can think of. He's a murderer. He's an insurrectionist. And what does the crowd yell for? Give us Barabbas. Barabbas goes free. Jesus, who is God, endures the punishment that you and I deserve. 
Like literally, he, he takes the physical and spiritual punishment that every sinner deserves. Imputed to him is our wickedness and placed upon him is the wrath that we all deserve. And that's what was happening on the cross. We're told that Jesus's beard was plucked from the roots in Isaiah. We're told that he was beaten beyond recognition. We're told that he was humiliated. He was mocked. All of these things were predicted. And Jesus, we're told in Hebrews later in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And what is that joy that is set before him? You. Those of you in this room who have made a proclamation of faith and those of you in this room that will soon make a proclamation of faith. He hung on that cross endured the shame. It says, did not despise the shame. He took your guilt. He took your shame. He took your pain. He took your wickedness. And on the cross, he gave you his righteousness. And then he died. And he died because the, at the end, the ultimate curse of sin is death. That's why we all die. Every one of us. But there's only one who defeated death. That's what we celebrate today. There's only one who ran out of that grave, as we just sang. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as he exited that grave, he invites every single one of us into the gospel, into himself, into salvation. Everyone is invited to know this Jesus and to be as he is and as he was. My friends, the promise of Jesus is forgiveness of sins, but it's also that you, as Jesus conquered death, you will conquer death one day as well. And we all should say, hallelujah. Amen works too. <clears throat> so, I want to take you to John 20. And I want to first share with you about in John 20 this reality of, of God who is re resurrected from the dead. Do you, do you know this idea of a human being resurrected from the dead was not easily believed in the first century church any more than it is today? So some of you may be a skeptic this morning and you may be saying, I don't know if I can ever believe that someone actually raised from the dead. Well, this is the reality in Jesus's day. When Jesus died on the cross and when they placed him in that tomb and they rolled that stone over that tomb, that stone that could not be removed by human hands, everyone who followed him thought that Jesus had died. And as I take you to John chapter 20, I want you to go to verse 19. This is on the day that Jesus has been resurrected. Now remember, a couple ladies have gone to the tomb and they have reported back that Jesus isn't there. And they've reported this from the direct encounter of angels who are at that tomb. And on that evening, it says in verse 19 of chapter 20, of the first day of the week, the doors being locked in a particular room, the disciples were in there for fear of the Jews. Why were they afraid? Because they thought that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. They walked with Jesus. The crowd saw people, them with Jesus. They figured the Jews are going to get us too. So they go inside of a room and they lock themselves in the room because they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they don't believe Jesus has been resurrected yet. They're just like some of you in the room. There is doubt. There is worry. And as they're in that room, it tells us Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad and they saw, they saw the Lord. And Jesus again said to them, peace with you as the father has sent me, I so send you. Now here's what's so amazing, right? These guys are freaking out. 
Now, if you haven't followed yet, and I I know some of you aren't there yet because you haven't read all of this maybe, but in this room are not 12 disciples. That's not what's in this room. There's only 10 in the room. Judas has betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The end result of Judas and all of his guilt, he hung himself. He's not in the room. Later in the text, it'll tell us, if you go to verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them. Thomas wasn't in the room. So imagine now the disciples are in here, and I'm going to use Thomas this morning to hopefully awaken your faith and bring you to salvation, that you would know Jesus. And so what's happening here is they're locked in this room and they're afraid. And then all of a sudden, the resurrected body of Jesus that, that clearly is who Jesus is, his new resurrected body, which, which for those of us in faith will receive the same kind of body. It seems that, that he's got a physical body, so he looks like a person, but he's not confined to the walls and to the physical realm. And so as they're talking, and I'm sure they're worrying and they're fretting, Jesus comes in and says, hey, good morning. Peace to you. And they all touch his wounds. I think this is magnificent that that we're even told that in heaven when we see Jesus face to face, his scars will still be there. He'll still have the holes and the scars in his hands and on his feet and where they took the spear and shoved it under his ribcage to ensure he was dead on the cross. All of those will be visible for us and all of those are visible for these men. Now, here's the thing. They're hiding in this locked room, but Jesus, God, knows their hearts. The psalmist David, who is also part of the lineage of Jesus, the psalm of David in 139, he says, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. Lord, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you know my thoughts, you know when I'm lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways, you know what I'm going to say before I even speak, the psalmist says. And then he says, where am I going to go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? David knew what all of you need to know right now. There is no border, no boundary, no fence, no locked door where Jesus cannot go. You think you may be safe from the message of the gospel, my friends, but you're not. And he knows your heart. He knows what's going on. And he knows in this moment what these fearful disciples are going through. And so he says to them, peace. But then we see Thomas isn't there, right? This is what's really interesting about this, okay? So so as a guy who loves the Bible, there's all kinds of little things that I like to look for that show me the importance of the Bible. Uh, There's 21 chapters in John. Did you notice that? If you just turn your page once, booyah, 21 chapters. See, you're a Bible student now. 21 chapters in John. And do you know how many days of the 33 years of Jesus' life John covers? Anybody, anybody graduate seminary in here? 21 to 22 days. 33 years of perfection, and the gospel of John focuses on just 21, maybe 22 days. It's kind of debated. 22 days of Jesus' life. Why is that important? Because what is in this particular book has been scrutinized by the writers of this book. So they're ensuring that they don't give you too much fluff. They're ensuring they don't give you too many details. Just what's really important. And John, through the Holy Spirit writing this piece of scripture, makes it that this story of Thomas 
And the disciples in a locked room are near the end of the book. It's part of the climax of this book. The resurrected Jesus has come into the room. Thomas isn't there. The disciples see Jesus. They leave said room, it tells us. And in verse 25, the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. I mean, you've got to understand something. These 10 men who are in this room, they are now seeing the Jesus who was brutally beaten beyond recognition. Literally, scripture says you couldn't tell that his face was that of a human. That's how badly beaten he was. His mother and, and, and his family and Mary and Martha and Lazarus all saw this Jesus die on the cross. Now here he is in the room. What would your response be? It wouldn't be this. That was cool. Right? It, it would be, holy smokes. And I'm sure once Jesus left that meeting, they went out and they were like, dude, we got to go find Thomas. Where's Thomas? Where's Thomas? I'm sure they were thinking the whole time, I wish Thomas were here. Thomas saw Jesus, walked with Jesus. Where's Thomas? He's not here. So they finally get to Thomas and they tell him, we've seen the Lord. Because that is how you should read that. Right? I know some churches, thou hast seen the Lord. Thy God be merciful to us. No, man, it's, we've seen Jesus. And what does Thomas do? Thomas says, listen here, friends. Unless, no different than today, no different than some of you, unless I stick my hands and my finger into where his nails were in his hands, and if I don't stick my hand into his side, I'll never believe. There's an emphasis on never. If you look in the original language, what Thomas is basically saying, and some of you have said it in your life, there's nothing you can show me. There's nothing you can tell me. There's no evidence that is good enough for me to ever believe in this resurrected Jesus again. That's heavy, isn't it? You want to know why that's heavy? Well, if you're a fan of John and in, in, in Scripture, <clears throat> you can go back to John chapter 11. Not that long ago. Right? Not that long ago. Jesus says, okay, it's time for us to go back to Judea. Jesus was traveling all over the place, preaching the gospel wherever he could go. And he says, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples, the same ones that are in the room, you can see this kind of example of fear, worry, and doubt. They say to Jesus, uh, no. Because that's where the Sadducees and the Pharisees are. And if we go back there, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill you. They're going to stone you to death. Jesus says, let's go to Judea. All of the other disciples say, no way because we'll die. One guy speaks up. Do you know who it is? It's Thomas. Thomas says, let us also go that we would die with him. Just a few chapters ago, Thomas is saying, I want to go with Jesus and I'm willing to die. In John 14, Jesus literally says of heaven, which is the place that hopefully you'll be invited into this morning, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus' way of saying, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. And my father's house are many rooms. If this wasn't the case, he says, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll come again and I'll take you to myself and that where I may be also. Now, as I said this and I mentioned that God, you know, he went to heaven to prepare a place for us. 
that he's in heaven now preparing a place for us. In the first service, Mavis said he's doing it right now for her. But she's excited to go home, I guess. And then G- the, and after Jesus says, okay, hey, I will come again. I'll take you to myself. And he says in verse 4 of John 14, you know the way to where I'm going. Do you hear Jesus' teaching? Jesus is teaching, okay, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. Then I'm going to ascend to the Father in heaven. And I'm going to ascend to the Father in heaven so that I can give you the best gift that you could ever receive. And that is the part of the Trinity, the part of God himself that is the Holy Spirit. He says, it's good that I go because the physical Jesus can only be in one place. But the spiritual Jesus, the spiritual part of the Trinity, the Godhead that is the Trinity, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, all places, all times, and resides within the human temple and the human heart. So Jesus says, it's good that I go. And I'm preparing a mansion for you. In heaven for eternity, a home with me for eternity. And then Jesus says, you know the way, you know where I'm going. You know who speaks up? Thomas. Doubting Thomas, which can we just say it's kind of a bummer he gets the name Doubting Thomas because no other disciple gets a jacked up name like that. Like we don't call Peter denying Peter. But here's Thomas, he gets that name and he says, he says what everyone else is thinking, right? Jesus has been speaking in these weird platitudes because they don't understand the death and resurrection yet. They're like, okay, he's going to go. He says, we know the way. He's going to go to heaven. He's going to prepare a place. And only one disciple asks a question. And what's the question he asks? Uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Right? I mean, it's because of his doubt in this moment. It's because of his faith. He asks this question and he says, He says, I don't know where we're going. How can we know the way? Because of this question, Jesus gives us one of the best descriptions of who Jesus is. And Jesus responds to Thomas, and he says to Thomas, I am the way. You want to know how to get to heaven? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And if you'd known me, you've known the Father. And now on, you do know him and you've seen him. What is my first point this morning in regards to hopefully you coming to the resurrected Jesus? My first point this morning is it is okay to have doubts. And it's okay to have questions. I mean, what is church if you can't come and ask questions about who God is? My friends, if you think that the church is an entity that says, we know it all and we've got it all together, that's not the case. The reality is the church says, we know the one who knows it all. And we want you to know the one that knows it all. And if you're not here asking questions, you're never going to grow. The first instruction here on this Easter Sunday is that if you're going to be resurrected into the arms of Jesus, you've got to be okay with asking questions about Jesus. And some of you, that's why you're here. You've asked. You're finding answers. I came across a story of a Sunday school teacher to illustrate the importance of honesty the Sunday school teacher was teaching on the Good Samaritan. You remember the, the guy who was left on the side of the road and, and a Good Samaritan came and helped him. And if you remember that, that individual who was onto the side of the road, he was, the teacher said to the class, if you remember, he was off to the side of the road and he was bleeding and he'd been beaten and he basically was dying on the side of the road. The Sunday school teacher asked her class of young students, what would you do in that situation? One little girl rose her hand and said, I think I'd throw up. She's being honest. 
She's not faking it. Right? That's what kids give us. Honest questions, don't they? I mean, they are brutally honest. My kids let me know how fat I am on a regular basis. <laughs> They're, hey, I got a t-shirt someone bought. Some of you here a few weeks back, I, wore, uh, I talked about uh, the t-shirt that said kind of fit and kind of fat. One of the coworkers here at the church bought me that shirt. I wear it to the gym sometimes and I get really cool smiles. Because most of us in there are kind of fit and kind of fat. Be honest about your doubts. You know, this honesty in theological tradition is basically what we would call confession. The first step to believing in Jesus is to be honest. To be honest with your life. I mean, do some of you have a sense that in your life that all of the status that you've gotten, all of the education that you've received, all of the materialism that you have gathered for yourself or that you desire, has it satisfied you? Have you been honest with the kind of things that the world has presented to you for your happiness? Be honest about those things. Be honest about your past. Be honest about your mistakes. Be honest about your sin. Be honest about the ways that you have been not so nice. Be honest about where you have not been honest, where you have lied. Be honest about those things. That's what the Bible says, confessing of your sins. And if Thomas knows anything, he knows that he can be honest. He refuses to be anybody else. He refuses to even be persuaded by the other disciples in this particular moment. And he has been so broken that's why Thomas is in this place. That's why he's doubting because he saw this man that was his hero, this man that he thought would liberate him from the powers of Rome. He saw him die and now he thinks this Jesus is dead and I need real empirical evidence if I'm gonna believe because right now Thomas is saying, I've got no reason to believe. Well, good for us, there is some amazing evidence for the skeptic. I'm gonna give you three. The first way we know that the resurrection of Jesus is real is there is not one person in human history, not one person in human history has had the impact that Jesus has had. No one has had more of an impact on human history than Jesus Christ, period. Bar none, can't argue with it, can't debate it. Jesus is the man. Number two, the claims that Jesus make force us to either accept him or reject him or crown him or kill him. Because someone who says that he's God is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's exactly who he said he is. He's Lord. And thirdly, the prophecies that are fulfilled. There are so many prophecies hundreds of years ago where Jesus literally in scripture tells us what the crucifixion will be like, what Jesus the Messiah will be like, what will happen. All of those things have been fulfilled. And what I, what I kind of hate and love about this doubting Thomas is even though he knows the answer, now, granted, he, he's walked with Jesus. Now, can we give, let me give you a fourth one. This just came to me in the moment. Fourth one, we know that Jesus is resurrected. If Jesus was such a good teacher, and if all Jesus was was a good teacher, then doubting Thomas would not be having the issue he's having right now, would he? Right? Jesus is not to be embraced as just a good teacher, just a good rabbi. Because if he was just a good teacher and just a good rabbi, when Jesus died, just like every other guru, you could still follow Jesus' teachings. Right? If Jesus Christ, if his mission was, let me just give you a great way to live and, and some great precepts. If that was it, 
Thomas doesn't have a problem, but Thomas knows that Jesus is so much more than a good teacher. He knew that. He was willing to say, okay, you know what? He's either Messiah or he's nothing at all. And so he's in this radical place. Look at verse 25. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Again, that's why I love the Bible. Because we miss things. Sometimes we miss stuff, right? This is a group of friends. Ten dudes now in this room. Thomas has joined them. Thomas is doubting. Thomas is rejecting the Messiah. Do you know for how many days? Over a week. Could you imagine what this is like for the other disciples? Dude, Thomas, I'm telling you, man, Jesus is alive. And Thomas is going, eight days. He's kind of like Eeyore. He ain't alive. Eight days of negativity, eight days of rejection, eight days of maybe even verbal persecution to the other disciples. You guys are ridiculous. You guys are seeing ghosts. You guys don't know what you believe. You don't, eight days. I mean, not only are the doors locked, the doors are locked to show us Thomas's heart is locked. I'm not letting anybody in. I'm not letting anybody close. I need to be safe. Literally, Thomas at this point doesn't have any hope other than self-preservation. And I'm here to tell you this morning that without Jesus Christ, you don't have any hope. And if you need resurrected hope this morning, and I hope you do, you have to see the world simply just does not give it to you. In my study time this week, I came across an atheist website and a young gal writing her struggle as an atheist. This is a young lady speaking of what she's going through as an atheist person. Listen carefully to what she writes. Because I think it's the, the case for some of us in the room and in society today. I'm confused, she says. Does that not sound like our culture? I'm confused. I've always believed that science would be the cure-all for my problems. But I don't know if I can keep living without eternal life. I guess I'll just have to find a way myself to make it through this meaningless existence. I just wish I knew of someone who could show me the path to eternal life. She's right there. If science can't provide the answers, though, then who or what can? I mean, I can't help but read in this and be like, I need to go find her address. I need to knock on her door. She's searching. She's ready. I mean, you just imagine, saw you on the webpage. Here I am, Pastor Jesse. <clears throat> she goes on and she writes, doesn't it seem like there's a higher power that gives our life purpose? But she ends her paragraph like this. Well, science says there isn't, so there isn't. The world's solution doesn't bring hope. If there's no death of Jesus, there's no forgiveness of sins. And if there's no resurrection of Jesus, then there's no resurrection of life. There's no new life. There's no new creature. There's no new hope. And there's no promise that you would ever defeat death. But because Jesus defeated death first, we too will defeat death. Literally, Corinthians is not afraid to say that if, if, Jesus, hasn't been rep if Jesus has not been resurrected from the dead, then, then we should be found misrepresenting God, that our youth is futile, and that we should be pitied. You see, Christianity stands or falls on the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. No resurrection, no Christianity. 
But here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you're doubting and you're questioning, I, I, I encourage you to continue to question and to continue to ask those questions because hope enters into the room. The door is locked. Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. Can you imagine Thomas's face? Because Jesus knows the first time, the first time Thomas wasn't with the disciples. There's something to share with here with that too. Can I, can I share this with you? Out of fellowship believers miss out on a lot. Right? We know the reputation that Easter has and that Christmas Eve has, that, that you, know, you get your CEO Christians, those who come only on Christmas and Easter only, right? CEOs. Some of you are CEOs. And I just want to tell you, I am really glad that you're here. I am. And, and if all you give Jesus is two days during the year, okay, okay. But you're missing out on so many great things. You see, the other disciples, this is part of the mistake that Thomas made. He didn't listen to the other disciples' teachings. And we can do the same thing as Christians. We can miss out on the resurrected Jesus because we refuse to listen to what the disciples are telling us about Jesus. And so the first locked room moment is for those 10 disciples. And this particular locked room moment is only for Thomas. Are you a doubter this morning? Jesus is willing to leave the 99 to get to the one. And he walks into that room and the text tells us he basically bypasses from all that we can tell, bypasses the disciples in the room. And then he walks straight up to Thomas and says, put your finger here. Right there. Then he says, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. And he gives the encouragement that I want to give to you this morning. Don't disbelieve. Believe. Right? Here's Thomas. He's standing there. And he doesn't have hope. He's been doubting for eight days. His heart is broken. He feels like he is on the outskirts. He's not in fellowship with his other believers. He's not reading anything about Jesus. He's not praying to God. He probably feels that even Judaism itself has failed him. And here he is with his other friends who are celebrating. And he's the lone Eeyore in the room. And Jesus walks right up to that guy, just as I believe the Holy Spirit is walking, right up to your little Eeyore heart this morning. And you know what he gives to him? He gives him evidence. Here I am. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. That is the declaration of belief. That's how you get saved. You call Jesus your Lord and your God. And Jesus said to him, you have believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. You know what Jesus just said there? Jesus knew you'd be writing this, that you'd be reading this. I'm sorry. And he knew that if you read it, you might be asking, how come I don't get a Thomas moment? Because Jesus said it right here. You don't need a Thomas moment to believe. I've given you evidence. I've given the Holy Spirit. I've given truth. I've given prophecy. I've given you everything that you need. And for those of us who have not seen the physical Jesus, but have experienced the spiritual Jesus inside of our hearts, blessed are us. If you are a Christian this morning, the Bible would say, man, you've done a good and beautiful thing. Maybe... You're even here this morning and you're praying for someone that's like Thomas. I wish Thomas was here. Eventually they'll get there. But Thomas was an isolated Christian. And he comes into fellowship. Some would say that Thomas was a believer maybe, but not a belonger. 
And here he comes right into this room. And Jesus invites him to touch his own wounds. Do you know what Isaiah also tells us in chapter 53? That by his wounds were healed. Thomas was feeling these wounds, these, these wounds that, that, that filled, that, that, that gave Thomas the ability to believe. And he knew that these wounds were the wounds that took away his sin and took away his shame. Are you going to rise up like Thomas? Are you going to continue to doubt? Are you going to see that Jesus is inviting you into this room with himself to know him and to know his peace? Because as soon as as he does this, he's blessed are those who not believe. And then look at verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the proclamation. Do you know what he just said here? He just said, listen, I gave you a little teeny story about Thomas in a locked room. I've given you 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, he says, about Jesus in his 33 years. However, he says, this is but a fraction of all the amazing things that Jesus has done. Just a fraction. You know what history tells us of Thomas? History tells us that after this encounter, Thomas's faith rose up. He began to preach the gospel like the rest of the disciples. And later in his life, around 72 AD, he was stabbed in the stomach and he died a martyr's death. How does someone go from believing to seeing Jesus die to no longer believing? And then all of a sudden he sees the resurrected Jesus and he's right back on board again. He doesn't miss a step. You know, I mentioned earlier, right, that Thomas was like an Eeyore. You know what his transformation was like? Thomas went from Eeyore to Tigger. (laughs) Woohoo! Right? I want to bounce. I want to play. I want to enjoy the Lord. I want to enjoy fellowship. I want to enjoy Christians. I want to enjoy Jesus. And, and, And here's the thing if you haven't met, you maybe have missed it. Thomas, it says, had a twin. And this is why I love the Bible because we're like, okay. Who's the twin? We don't know, but the Bible's written for you. Maybe you're the twin. Maybe you're the one who is like Thomas. You've doubted, and now it's time to come to faith. Maybe you're like Thomas. You you need empirical evidence, and Jesus is saying to you in verse 30 of John chapter 20, this is written so that you would believe. I've given you holy scripture. I've given you holy speech so that you can know the grace of God, and you can know that it was Jesus that got you the way to heaven, not your own good works, not anything that you can do. There's nothing any of us can do to earn our way to heaven. Do you know that? Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you have. They will never outweigh your bad deeds. Because your sin is cosmic treason against God. Even when David sinned with Bathsheba, he said, against you, God, and God alone have I sinned. And Jesus is sharing with you this morning, come on inside the room. This time the doors aren't locked. And the invitation is for you to know the Lord. And I ask that question, how does one come to salvation? How does one come to know this Jesus? It's a proclamation of faith. It's as simple as Thomas's declaration, my Lord and my God. It's believing upon Jesus Christ to be the, exactly who he said he is. He's God. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who reconciles you to God the Father. And he's the one who defeated death for you that you would defeat death as well. That is incredible good news, is it not, church? That's incredibly good news. And as the worship team comes forward,
and we begin to sing here in just a few moments, I want to give you that opportunity. Now, the way that I do this every now and then, it's not something I make a, uh, a big habit of doing, and, and, and there's a reason for it. Some people would believe, and some people have taught, you know, hey, you, you, you become a Christian by saying a prayer. And if you say this prayer and you repeat this prayer, you know, you'll be a Christian. Some have said, hey, if you raise your hand, you're a Christian. Some say, if you come forward, you're a Christian. I, I just want you to know this. I want you to understand something. None of those things make you a Christian. Your faith makes you a Christian. And, and what I want you to see in this particular story is what kind of faith makes you a Christian? Is it a perfect faith? Thomas didn't have a perfect faith. He, he, he had questions. It's not perfect faith. True faith in Christ is willing to push through the doubt. True faith is willing to work towards the des destination of Jesus, even though sometimes it's hard to grasp. True faith says, you know what? I'm willing. As the father prayed for his son when he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I have one child and he's going to die. Will you heal him? I know you don't even have to visit him. You don't have to lay your hands on him. I know that if you pray right now and you ask God above that my son will be healed. And Jesus says, if you believe, he'll be healed. And what does the father say? I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus said he's healed because of your faith. The Bible says that in order to be saved, you don't need huge faith, stone, stone faith, big rock faith, like, like the kind that's up by the Veterans Center, right? You don't need the kind of faith where the rock sits there and another rock sits on it perfectly balanced. You need faith of a mustard seed. Just this little teeny mustard seed is enough to make you born again. And maybe this morning you're ready to come back into the fellowship. You've been gone. You've missed out on so much and you're hearing the Lord invite you back. You know, next week I want to invite you because next week we start a new sermon series on Ephesians, which is all about our identity in Christ. And for some of you, you're like, okay, I'm not ready to make a proclamation of faith today. Maybe that's next week. Maybe it's in a few months. I just want to invite you to keep coming and keep asking questions. Even if you don't like the answers, because if we're honest, if we're going to have a God we worship, God gets to have permission to disagree with us. Yeah. He gets to tell us we're wrong because he's God. And here's what I want you to do this morning with me. I'm going to ask all of you if you would just bear with me, if you would all bow your heads this morning. And I know inevitably, just like in the first service, there were several individuals in the first service who said, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And I'm not going to make you raise your hand. And like I said, there's nothing magical about a prayer and there's nothing special about coming forward. It's faith. Faith in Christ alone saves you. Faith alone and Jesus alone is what brings you to God. And there's no doubt in my mind that Christ's Holy Spirit is resting upon some of your hearts and you want to make that declaration this morning. And here's how I'm going to ask you to do it. I'm going to pray and I want you to repeat that prayer. Like I said, nothing special about it, but it at least gives us some kind of concrete understanding of what we're believing in. If that's you, would you please pray? Lord, I believe that you are God and that you died for my sins and that you defeated death, that you're all I need for heaven. You're all I need for salvation. And I want to place my faith in your hands. I want to give you my life. I no longer want to live according to the world and all of its ways. 
I want to move from doubt into faith like Thomas, and I want to live for you for eternity. I invite you to overtake my life. I give you all of myself, Lord, because I know you will give me all of you. And would you grow me day by day, doubt by doubt, into a place of stronger faith? And as your heads remain bowed, if that was you this morning, all I'm going to ask you to do is just to look up at me so I know that you did it. God bless you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Lord, thank you for those in the room that are making a proclamation to believe in you. I pray that you would grow their faith. I pray, Lord, that they would get discipled now, Lord, that they would follow you, make you their Lord and their God. And they would know this morning that they're forgiven because they believe. And I pray that they would show that belief in how they live out the rest of their life. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Give a hand for those who made a proclamation of faith this morning. Um, As we leave, we sing celebratory because Jesus is no longer dead and neither is your soul. And as you exit out, there's a place to take a photo. Uh, I know they're going to be posted somewhere. I can't remember where the the photographer will tell you. And um, all that stuff, some of that stuff will be on social media. We have some food next door, some donuts, things like that if you want to fellowship afterwards. Uh, And like I said, if, if you're here this morning and you are saying, I want this faith, I want this Christ, and you want to do more than just raise your head, please know that for myself, I'm here for you. We invite every single one of you to contact us throughout the week. We're here to serve you. We're here to help you. I'm one of the pastors. We got big Brad here. He's one of the pastors. We got little Brad here. He's another pastor. Um, We're trying to hire a a middle-sized Brad, but we can't find one yet. So we have a small, medium, and large. Yeah, he retired. Um, So... These are guys that you can ask. You'll see some people with name tags. Marley's on staff. She's in the office a couple days a week. Some of you know Amy. Uh, but make sure you stop by the webpage. There's, our leadership is on the about page. But we're here for you. We're not here just to proclaim the gospel. We're here to live it with you. And some of you need healing, and some of you need help, and some of you need prayer, and some of you need guidance, and some of you need discipleship. We're starting a foundation of the faith class soon. I want to invite you to that. Some of this is in your program and on the app. But there is, more, there is more to dive into. And the gospel is like an ocean. You can play in the shores like a little child, which is great and it's beautiful and it's awesome. Or you can go into the deep end and dive down and find out those more beautiful, deeper things of God, but just know you'll never plumb the depths. Because the gospel is that simple to understand and that deep. And I just want to invite every single one of you to keep on that journey of faith with Jesus because it is worth it. He does save those that you don't think he will save. He does love the unlovable. He does heal the brokenhearted and mend the wounds of those who need it because our God is truly a God of mercy and grace. And our God is the only one worth worshiping. Amen? Let us sing. Let's stand together, family.